0: dear friends, I read to you two passages from the Word of God. I firstly read to you from Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1 is a very significant portion of God's Word, as all Scripture is. A hundred years after God had had mercy upon Nineveh, God was going to judge that most wicked city, that city that had known God's mercy, God was going to destroy it in the days of Jonah the prophet, but the city repented. The king issued a decree and the people bowed and humbled themselves before the Lord. How that was done, we don't know simply, but we are told that the people did repent and if that's what the word of God says, we must believe it, that the people repented And God himself turned from the wrath that he was about to pour out upon that wicked city. It was a pagan city where they treated the Israelites with great contempt. Before you enter the city, you would find heads of the Israelites cut off, bodies pierced, impaled upon poles or stakes to warn the people that anyone trying to overthrow that city would be destroyed. They were a cruel, barbaric people. And above all, they practiced idolatry. They denied the living God. They reduced God to images. And that is a great travesty. Not only a travesty, but it is that which incenses God greatly. And we live in a world full of idolatry, where men idolize not just images, but they idolize themselves as if they are gods, as if there is no God to be accountable to. So that's how it was in Nineveh. And then a hundred years later, God warned of that impending judgment, and that his judgment would be poured out. We have read those great, chilling words. How God's wrath will be like an unquenchable fire. Judgment did come. And judgment is also coming to this world. And we see signs of it. Certainly we've seen signs of it this last week, haven't we? In the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. And incidentally, modern day Turkey is where we have seen the seven churches. In Asia Minor, they were called. That's where they were. Some 23,700 people, it is reported now, have been killed in that earthquake at the beginning of the week. And I always think it's important to bring a timely message to people, to our, the contemporaries of our day, because many will say, like they are saying today today, Amidst such an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, where is God in all of this? There are people saying this. There are even those in churches saying, well, God is not there in the earthquake. God has nothing to do with the earthquake. Churches today will say that. The Church of England will say that. And we have proofs of that. We have other religions that will say that. They will say, God is not responsible for those things. God doesn't send the earthquake. God doesn't send the disasters. Well, my friends, everything, all of these, what men call force majeure, are sent by God. All of these disasters are sent by Almighty God. Now, you remember that in the last message at the beginning of the year, I spoke about our days of our lives. I brought to you from Job 32 verse 7 the words, Days should speak and a multitude of years should teach wisdom. How many years have you lived in this world? How many years have I lived in this world? Well, God says days should speak. They have a voice. They should be teaching you, telling you something. What should days be telling you? They should be telling you and they should be telling me that man is sinful and God is angry with sinners every day. That's what the Bible tells us. That the Lord is angry with the wicked every day and that man is sinful. Our days should also be telling us, as we read in James, that our lives are but a vapor. We hear just for a little while, and we see this year after year. People perish. The vapor may look like it's hanging around for a while, but you just don't know how long that vapor will be. You don't know how long your lives will be in this world. Moreover, in the words, remember in Moses, of Moses in Psalm 90, in the verse 10, the days of our years are three score in years and ten. If they 60 years... Or if they 70 years, three score and ten. Or if by reason of strength they be four score years, that's 80 years. Their strength is labor and sorrow. For soon it is cut off and we fly away. We're not here long. We cut off and we fly away. It may be that our lives end in a great earthquake. Like 23,700 people's lives perished just in those few hours in Turkey and Assyria. It may just be that, taken away. Nevertheless, it's appointed unto man once to die. And therefore, in the light of that, Psalm 39 verse 4, David says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, empty, light. That's our days. So no sooner had the year begun, exactly four weeks ago, I preached that message Days should speak, and a multitude of years should teach wisdom. What are we learning? What are we learning about ourselves? What are we learning about God? What are we learning about life? Think of it, all those homes destroyed at once. You see pictures of homes ablaze, buildings on fire, children running around with no parents, or parents with no children, And the whole nation is in a disarray. That could happen here. That could happen in Hemel Hempstead. That could happen in England. Yes, there is a God. And many people are saying, well, if there is a God, why does he allow these things? Well, my friends, he doesn't just allow them, but he determines them. And I think it's very important, as I said, to address these matters because so often these things are shoved under the carpet. The Bible has many things to say about natural, what men call natural disasters. These things are, we could say, happening because of sin. They are called in the book of Revelation, trumpets, warnings. We're told in Revelation chapter 9 at the end there, that men did not repent, even for the sake of these things, even for the sake of the the floods, the pestilences, the earthquakes. Men simply did not repent because of these things. They repented not. And the rest of men, verse 20, which were not killed by these, that's the plagues, the various things that God had sent, yet repented not of the works of their hands. And so on. Man does not change. Now we read from a passage that speaks on these issues. In Luke chapter 12 and chapter 13, the Lord addresses sinners. And he says, suppose that these sinners are worse than you? He said, nay, except ye Repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, I want to bring this on a more practical level. We can warn sinners, as the Bible warns, and there's a warning here, as we'll see in Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 13. But here's the striking thing. Sinners being sinners, you can warn them in this world about very practical things, things like lusts of the flesh. Society, you might even hear it on the radio or something like that. There are advertisements, gambling is a serious addiction. Right? You've heard that. You've seen people that gamble their money away, and they left with nothing. The wife is left wondering, where's the money?
1: The man's had a secret for all these years. And all of a sudden, the house has been remortgaged. The family is in great debt.
0: Gambling is a terrible thing. It's a serious addiction. Somebody gets a taste for gambling. They win some money, and then they try it again. And then they lose money. And they think, well, my time's just going to come around again. Well, people, these... People that are in the business of gambling, the owners of the betting shops, they're in it making a profit. There's no profit to the gambler. So just on a practical level, lust of the flesh, pornography. You've heard of the dangers of pornography. Pornography actually destroys lives. It's not good for you. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. That's what pornography does. And it never really gives satisfaction and pleasure. Ultimately,
1: adulterers will burn in the lake of fire. On a practical level, spending
0: money that you don't have on credit cards is a serious addiction. But people carry on. Just like pornography, just like gambling, sexual promiscuity leads to deadly diseases, doesn't it? Think of it in our society. Recreational drugs leads to addiction to one, to another, but men carry on until their death. Just on a practical level, what about smoking? It says on a cigarette package... Smoking kills. Smoking causes cancer. Why? Because it's a fact. 85 to 87% of throat cancer and lung cancer comes from smoking. It's even worse if you smoke cigars because there's no filtration system on a cigar. That causes death, yet people continue on. Why? Because it's a lust of the flesh. It's a fact that it causes death, but not only that, it harms the non smoker because they have to inhale what you have smoked. But people carry on because the lust of the flesh, because it's sinful. The sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. But people carry on, you see. Do people listen? When we speak about gambling, when we speak about debt, when we speak about pornography. No, not till it's too late. And so it is with everything else in life. Men are sinners and sin in general is not taken heed to in this life. And the Lord Jesus addresses it here. And then suddenly the end comes. Well, They have to give an account, and we all will have to give an account to our Creator. We can know certain truths. People can warn you, warn you, warn you. But if you carry on in a certain path, it is that which will end up in destruction. God has a problem with sin, all sin. Not just certain sins, but all sin. Now, we must remember that we live in a cursed world. But when God saves you, you don't continue in your own path of self-destruction. He saves you to a different life, to do your good, to bring you to a good end, to bring you to a good hope. But again, remember, warnings will come. You know that the Bible is full of warnings about God's judgment coming in our midweek, series, to those who belong to the church here, know that we've been going through the book of the Revelation, and God sends these warnings, one warning after the next, that he is coming in wrath, because man is basically living for himself, and God is angry with sin every day, and man will have to give an account to God. Yes, we live in a sinful world. Yes, we live in a cursed world. We all know that. But the Lord Jesus, we will see in these two passages here, is pressing upon his hearers the absolute necessity of sinners to repent. That means to turn. Turn from sin and to turn to God. Turn from your sins. And we want to think about that here this afternoon. If you notice, in chapter 12, the Lord Jesus unrelentingly has been pressing upon the minds of his hearers how God hates sin. It's important you you look there with me in your own Bibles and don't don't simply take my word for it. But have a look, Luke 12, verse 49. I am come to send fire on the earth. Think of it, gentle Lord Jesus. What does he say? I am come to send fire on the earth. He's going to destroy the earth. Peter tells us that this present earth will melt with fervent heat. And what will I if it already be kindled? In other words, it's ready for the burning. You think of how you kindle a fine, you get it ready, it's just about to go up, you've got all the kindling there, well that's the picture. But then you notice, he says to his hearers in his day, I tell you that he first of all has to go through something else, he's got to do something else before he burns up the earth and what is it? Verse 50, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened with it until it be accomplished? What he was there speaking of was his death
1: on the cross. Before the Lord judges the earth, he is going to
0: have to take judgment to himself of all of his people. There was a day of wrath, and that was the day when the Lord Jesus took the punishment of all that would ever believe upon him. He would have to go through a baptism of fire. Well, and then if you notice in verse 3 of chapter 13, he says to his hearers in that day, they've been telling him of uh, of, uh, various things that have happened, seeming catastrophes, Were they thinking that these things have happened because these people were great sinners? Look at the verse 1. There was present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. What did Pilate do? He took the blood of these Galileans and he mixed them with the sacrifices. What an abomination. And here are some of these thinking, and of course the Lord Jesus can read the minds, he knew the hearts of men, thinking these Galileans are terrible sinners. They got what was deserving to them. But these self-righteous Jews here, he says to them, what does he say? Suppose they were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent. Repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. In other words, you've got sin yourselves. And unless you repent, you will perish. Verse 5, I tell you again, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We read of 18 here, verse 4, On whom the tower in Siloam fell upon them. A great tower fell on 18 people, killed them, suddenly slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There's a great lesson here for us to learn, especially as we think of what happened in
1: Turkey and Syria. Do we think... By nature, and even if we're Christians, that we are worse or we're better than those people. My friends, we're all sinners. As God looks across,
0: he sees that there are none righteous. No, not one. The difference between a Christian is that he has repented and is repenting of his sin. The Christian life is not just once of one day repenting, but it is a continual repenting. It's a continuing turning away from our own self-styled life to live it to the glory of God. That's really what repentance is. It's not just hating sin. It's not just loathing sin, but it's turning to live for God. Repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means meta change, noia, mind. change of mind, change of direction, change of life. What the Lord is saying, he's not saying here, oh, just be sorry for your sins, but unless there's a change of life, unless there's a change
1: of heart, the man will perish. How is the world? The world is a sinful place.
0: When Paul went to Athens... And he went there to Mars Hill, and he saw all the various idols. We're told there that the city was given over to idolatry. And uh, Paul, he was stirred in his heart, it says in Acts 17, 16, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And then he saw that there was this idol or this statue made to the unknown God. And then he preached the unknown God, the God they didn't know about. They were a superstitious people. They're trying to cover every so-called God, but there is only one God. He says, I want to tell you of this God, God who made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything. See, he giveth life to all, but is made of one blood of all nations, of all men to dwell on the face of the earth. From Adam, he has made all the nations, and he has determined the bounds of our habitation, where we should live. And whether we're going to hear the word of God or not, most people never hear the word of the
1: living God. Most people in that earthquake have not heard the Bible. I believe that. Some have. It's a land given over to much of it,
0: Islam. It's hard to know exactly the figures, but by and large, there are a lot of Muslims, a lot of other religions there. I was in reading some interesting statistics on those places. Some maybe have heard. The Word, but maybe even a watered-down version of the, of the preaching of God's Word. As it is today, you can go across to churches in England. And uh, the Word of God is even watered-down there.
1: Some people will give you a watered-down version of the Gospel. Now, there are degrees of sin. Because the Lord Jesus spoke of Judas, who was guilty
0: of the greater sin who handed him over to Pilate and the authorities. There are degrees of sin. I tell you, most people in this world will never hear the true message of the gospel. Many will hear, but most by and large pass through this world without a knowledge of the word of
1: God. Many will hear a truncated, an abused sense of the gospel, a man-centered view
0: of Christianity. They will not hear of a God who is angry with sin. There's a God today that is preached that he, he loves everybody and that he wants to save everyone. I saw a, a, a little image of a, of a young boy looking at a woman with a very confused look on his face. A little African boy. And he's looking at the person, and the quotation is, So God has predestined everyone to eternal life, but God is trying to save everyone at the same time. Of course, we don't know what the little boy was thinking, but it does make you think, doesn't
1: it? It does make you think. Man by nature is indeed a child of wrath. And he can be warned
0: about things that are harmful to his health, but he will carry on in sin. And that ought to be a warning to each and every one of us, because that is our thinking. By and large, that is our thinking. When you're young, your parents can warn you, I remember my parents warning me about things day after day, time after time, time after time. And, you you know, you can almost hear yourself thinking, you've told me before, you've told me before, until you end up doing that thing. And then thinking, well, I wished I would have listened to my parents. And now I find myself in an awful mess but this is man. By nature, he rejects God. You can hear the truth, but you can deny it. And our natural bias is, you see, when disasters happen elsewhere in the world, we somehow, our evolved thinking is, we are better than them. They are getting their just deserts. But the Lord says here, except you repent you shall all likewise perish. And then he gives a parable. And this is very interesting. It's the parable of the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree there. And what is it? Three years. A man has a fig tree. And he tends it. It's on the back foot of this. Then verse 6, you see, he spake also this parable. So that means it's connected to what he's teaching here. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Now we could, this more than likely has to do with Israel because for three years the Lord Jesus ministered to Israel and there was no fruit. There was no fruit of repentance. Do you remember when John the Baptist was baptizing there at the Jordan. And uh, the Lord Jesus came down. And so did the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew 3, 7 we read, But when he, that is John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he said, bring forth therefore fruits, meat, for repentance. He said, no, we we don't know if they wanted to be baptized. It seemed like they were interested in what was going on. And if they wanted to take part in this in true baptism, he said, you've got to show it in your life. Show that you're a changed person, because that's really what repentance signifies.
1: It, it, It signifies a death to the old self, and a living to God.
0: Now many hear the word of God, but there's no repentance, like these people. They heard Him, but they never heeded Him. Well, it's solemn, and he gives this parable here of this fig tree. And uh, after three years, it's brought no fruit, and uh, notice what is said. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come, verse 7, seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Why is it occupying space? It's the Lord's vineyard. And he answered, saying, and said unto him, Lord, let alone for another year also, till I should dig it about and dung it. If it bear fruit, well, if not when after that thou shalt cut it down. So that's the teaching. And you'll notice, as the, the passage moves on, and I've found this over the years, nothing is really ever said in a void. Nothing is ever said in a vacuum as we go through the Gospels. There's a connection. You notice, what we have in the following passage now is exactly how these people were. They were very religious Very religious. He went into the synagogue. And uh, what did he do? He healed a woman that was very ill, had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. We don't know what exactly it was, but was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Could you imagine this poor woman? She was so weakened. She could hardly lift up herself. She could hardly do anything, clean the house. She couldn't do anything, really. Eighteen years. On count, imagine the struggles that that woman had. It may well even be that she didn't have a husband. We don't know. But who would care for her? Now, these men, they would take their animals out of the pit. On the Sabbath, if the, the animal was in the pit, and they would rescue the animal but the lord jesus heals this woman on the sabbath and there's great indignation amongst these religious people here now what's the lesson there are people friends let me say it there are little
1: pharisees in churches today who are people that are very religious
0: but you know they have no heart for god no heart for God's people. No heart to do good. They engage in their religion almost for sort of self-preservation and self-protection. If I go to church, I won't go to hell. But there's no life, there's no love for God and there's no love for God's people. The test of true religion is this. Do you love God? And do you love God's people? Or do you love people? To love our neighbor as ourself, to spend your life for others, not to spend for yourself. These so-called religious men in the church lined their pockets with people's money, but they couldn't put themselves out for others.
1: They strained at gnats and swallowed camels. If you turn to Matthew 23,
0: these were the blind leading the blind. Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Judgment or deliverance, mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the others undone they were more concerned about paying their tithes than about truly loving God and about loving fellow men. Because, you see, they were unconverted. The converted heart is a selfless heart. is a heart that wants to honor God and wants to do good to fellow men. You see, when God saves you, It's not simply that you come to church to learn.
1: But you come to be changed. You come to live to the glory of God. These men, they knew the word of God back to front. But they never lived it out in their lives. And these were the hypocrites. Because they knew the law. You see, they just wanted an easy religion. In a sense, it's easy to pay your tithes, isn't it? But it's hard to give your whole life to God
0: and to serve the church of the living God. That's harder. Because it requires sometimes putting yourself out. You see, it's a changed heart. This is true repentance. That's not how these men lived. But that's, let me say, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that's how everybody is born. Everybody is born a Pharisee. Everybody is born like that, with a self-styled religion that serves self. That was their religion their religion served themselves. And somehow it gave them peace in
1: their mind. That all was well. And they were going to be with God. You see? They
0: weren't ashamed of their sin. They were indignant because the Lord Jesus Christ showed them up for their selfishness. They cared more about their animals cared more about their livestock than people made in the image of God. They were proud of their empty,
1: formal religion. Now that, by and large, let me say,
0: is what you have across so much of the Orthodox Church. I'm not saying some aren't saved. I believe many of them are saved. But what you have, if it's just ritual or form, you're worshipping some object or something, but not Christ. To live for Christ, you don't worship an object, but you worship the living God. It's not formal religion, it's religion of the heart that changes the life. It's not simply going along somewhere. No doubt there were true believers that perished in that earthquake, as it was true when the Twin Towers fell.
1: But where does the believer go? The believer goes to be with God. We mustn't think
0: that somehow we are better than them that perished this last week. That's the message if I drive anything home here
1: today than those people far away. We must look at our lives. Who are we living for? Are we living for the lusts of the flesh? Are we living for the
0: world? If you come down to verse 23, notice, after this incident,
1: then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved and he
0: said unto them strive to enter in at the strait gate for many i say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able why because remember not everybody repents you see the person that truly repents is the person that truly believes as i've said often Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ are always found together. If you believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be who he says he is, Lord and Master, you will turn. By the grace of God, you will turn. Now it's interesting, you note in the verse 24, it seems from what the Lord says to this man, who by the way, we're not given a name about this man, we don't know who he is doesn't really matter. But he answers him in a sort of indirect way. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate or the narrow gate. For many, I say unto you, notice the word many, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Many. We are told that there's a narrow road that leads To eternal life. There's a narrow gate. This is the, the, the straight gate. And it's a narrow way. The narrow way is to deny yourself. He said that in chapter 12.
1: You see the life God calls us to is a narrow life.
0: But you've got to enter in by the straight gate. Such a difficult gate. What is that? straight gate. It's a narrow gate because it is Christ. He is the door. He is the gate. He says it in John chapter 10. I am the door. If any man enter in thereby, he may be saved. Now that is very difficult for people. Christ and Christ alone. You can't enter in with anything else. You can't enter in with formalism. You can't enter in with any sort of superstition. You enter in as a beggarly sinner, as one seeing that he deserves the Tower of Siloam to fall upon his head. The one who, whom he sees deserves his blood, needs to, could be mingled with other sacrifice. But he is an unworthy, guilty sinner. That's how you enter in, and you enter in saying, Lord, I must repent. I must turn. I can't live my life for myself. I must live it for thee. I must not be satisfied with mere attendance at church. I mustn't be satisfied with merely coming along to get more information in the brain. Oh, I like to come because I get to learn this and I get to learn that. My friends, what use is it if we simply get knowledge? And there's no change in the life. There's no use, is there? Because then we will be charged with the greater sin. That was true of Judas. Judas knew so much. Judas was there for three years, listening to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet handed him over.
1: What use is it? You you can have a knowledge but if there's no change in the life you will perish now
0: this is the condemnation says the lord jesus john 3:19 that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light you hate it when the preacher says certain things he pushes all the buttons and This gets to your nervous system. Troubles you. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. You see, men do not come to the light because they love the darkness of sin. They love their lusts.
1: Now, Best thing to do is to pray to God and tell him you have a sinful heart, you have a lustful
0: heart, and best to tell him that you don't like being reproved, but it's good that you be reproved, and you should be reproved. We should all be reproved. If you have a child, don't you, you've, maybe you've, you're a child or maybe you've had children, what do you do when they do wrong? You reprove them, you correct them. Why? Because you love them. And, and it's a fact, you see, God reproves his children, he chastens them because he loves them. Not because he, he wants to hurt them, but he says, look, if you carry on this way, it'll be worse for you. And all of God's children, they heed the word. Somebody who's not your child won't listen to you, will they? They say, get lost, you're not my parent. And you say to them, okay, you go ahead and carry on in your own way. And often you see those
1: people in trouble. We see Judas knew a lot of things. But he didn't do them.
0: The Lord Jesus in John 19 verse 18 said to Pilate concerning Judas and himself. When Pilate therefore heard of that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again to the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater
1: sin. Judas had the greater sin. What Pilate did was wrong. He
0: knew, as he said, I find no fault in him, and still carried on, and handed him over to the Jews who he knew would want to continue to condemn him. But he said, you know, in actual fact, in all of this, Judas as the greater said. Why? Because more light had been given to Judas. And here's the question to you. Many
1: people that have perished and maybe have never heard the, the word of God, but you have heard the word. More light has been given to you than so many others.
0: This is why he says here, strive. Literally, it's it's the word strive to enter in at the straight gate. It's the word agonizimai, which means to agonize. That is to do all that you've got to do. Things in your life won't change unless you change them. Unless you turn from sin. Unless you do what God says. What does God's word command? Repent. Repentance is actually a commandment. Acts 17, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And what is that command? First of all, to turn
1: from sin. And those who turn from their sin will make a happy discovery. What is it? That the Lord gave them that repentance. Because it is a gift. It's what we're told in the Bible. You turn, but you turn by the grace of God. Paul said, I labored, but not I. How did he labor? He heard the word. And as he heard the word, he obeyed the word. You obey what God says. That's it. Don't
0: question, don't ask. Am I one of God's elect? That's the, that's not your business. Your business is to do what God says. Bible doesn't start saying, well, now find out, my friend, if you are elect. And then if you're elect,
1: then you follow God. That is not where the word of God begins. The word of God tells us repent.
0: And all men should repent anyway because to not repent is sin. To carry on and to live a self-destructive life is sin. You see, if I live my life my way, it's always self-destructive. And believe me, I have my way of living. And it's wrong. And God has to tell me, Every day, it's wrong to do this. It's wrong to do that. I think some people think being a minister is easy. My friends, it's very
1: hard. It's it's always hard being a Christian. It's never easy. But it's all part of the fight of faith.
0: Your eyes are on the Lord. You're trusting in Him. You're putting away sin. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, we are always repenting. It's not as if somehow the Christian is life is you've repented once, you've said a prayer, that's it, it's done. No, my friend, you've got the wrong idea. You remain a sinner, but the difference is you're a saved sinner, and you strive,
1: you battle against sin, the world, the devil. And you know what? The more you strive against sin, the more,
0: quite frankly, you see yourself to be a wretch. Because the more sin you actually discover in yourself. But the wonderful thing is, the more grace you find in God, You see, the more honest you are with yourself before God, the more ready you are for his help. You can't receive God's help until you
1: see yourself as a weakling, as a nothing, as helpless. Those are the ones that are best fitted for
0: Christ. Those who see themselves to be so weak
1: and they lean upon him. In the life of the Christian now, he wants to serve God.
0: Salvation, friends, is not of us, but it's looking to God. Strive to enter in. Once you're in, my friends, God will confirm that. Once you've denied yourself and you continue to deny yourself,
1: Then God will come in and he will help. But that's what a man does by the grace of God. We're no better
0: by nature than these self-righteous Jews. Except they repented, they would perish.
1: And that is all men. But thank God that those who are his will
0: We don't float through the narrow door, do we? He says, strive to enter in through the narrow door. You know, many people say, well, I've come to church now and I'm doing these things. The Christian life is a hard life. You don't just strive to enter through the narrow door, but you've got to strive
1: to keep on the narrow road. And those who were on that road are safe. Remember Lot's wife. Was she really a safe person? Heaven will reveal. It seems probably not. We can't
0: say these things with absolute certainty, but probably not because she looked back on that ancient city with a sense of a twinkling in her eye, the longing of all that she was leaving
1: behind. And the Lord had warned her whoever looks back will be judged. And she was. You see, when you truly see who
0: Christ is, and you truly see this world for what it is, I don't believe you'll look back with that same sense of. Longing for sin. You'll see sin for what it really is. Look at what sin has cost this world. Look at where it's going. It is headed for God's judgment and destruction. But look at the way in which God saves a people. By sending his dear and only begotten son. A perfect man who suffered unspeakable agonies upon the cross. Who took the guilt, the shame, the punishment of all of his people. And he bore that damnation lovingly. And you know now their hearts are changed for him. And it is the love of Jesus Christ that constrains them. And this world and all of its charms and Satan and all of
1: his devices, we turn away from those things. And we turn and we live. For Christ. And we agonize for him. We
0: agonize because we know it's a world that is going to hate Christians. It's a world that's going to hate the truth. It's a world that's going to hate the truth. That God has sent these judgments on the earth. And you'll be pronounced some sort of madman or maniac. If you say God has sent this. That's what the world will say. But you know, God is doing this to warn people. And he is saying, let us not think we're better. Let us humbly repent and confess our sins and run to Christ for refuge. Well, that's all of God's people. Will that be true of you? The world, my friend, as I close, is a place that will never bring us peace This world forfeited peace that day in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. The world has never been right since. But will be
1: right one day when Jesus Christ comes again. And then we'll know perfect peace. Amen.